Um, I'm going to read for us now from Jonah chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, follow along. Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each said out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account the evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us the innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it, you, as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging, and the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So we're just going to pray together. Father, we are thankful this morning that we can come even into your presence here in this place. We thank you that you've invited us, invited us to come through Jesus, your son. And we know that that's the only way that we can come. So, Father, we thank you so much for making a way for us. Lord, we are thankful that you, the creator God, loved us so much that you would send your son to die for us. And so, Father, as we come before you this morning, I pray that you help us to bear before you our hearts, to confess our sin to you, because, Lord, we're so aware that so much of the time we ignore you 
and are not thoughtful towards you. Father, I thank you for how you love us and care for us. And Father, we pray for our church family this morning. We pray for each member, um, for each person. Lord, we are thankful that you know each heart and mind, that you know exactly what's been going on in people's lives this week. And Father, we pray that as we sit here, Lord, that you will speak to our hearts as needed. Lord, we want to hear from you this morning. We want your spirit to speak to us, to guide us and change us. And Father, we pray for those in our, who are hurting, in our church family, in our community, and further afield. Lord, we pray for those whose lives have been turned upside down by different situations. Lord, we are thankful that you, the living God, are close to them. And Father, we pray for your comfort on them this morning. We pray for those who are grieving, for those who are so worried and anxious about different situations. Lord, be their comfort, we pray. And Lord, remind them of the hope that we have in Jesus. Father, we pray um, for Christians around our world, Lord. We pray for those places where it is so, so hard to follow you. We pray especially this morning for um, North Korea, Lord, and we are just thankful, thankful for things like the Christian Radio um, that helps encourage them and guide them. But Lord, we pray for those who are persecuted there. We pray for many believers in prison there this morning, Lord. Lord, for how they're mistreated and for the labor that they're asked to do. Lord, I pray that you would be standing right beside them. That you would give them the strength that they need to carry on. And Lord, we do pray that you would prevent um, or protect them from every evil attack on them. Lord, we know that you're a God who can do anything to help our hearts this morning to trust you. And so, Father, we just wait here in this room this morning expecting to hear from you, the living God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Julie. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good to be with you this morning as we are starting our new series in Jonah. Now, I'm sure when you heard that we were starting a new series in the book of Jonah, your first thought possibly was, whale. Or, those of you who like to really be annoying, uh, it's not a whale, it's a big fish. Never says anything about a whale. Well, get over yourself. It doesn't say it wasn't a whale. So, you don't know anything either. All right, keep quiet. Uh, <coughs> stop being annoying to people. Yes, we are in Jonah, and today my plan is, if possible, to get through chapter 1, and I know that is ambitious, but we're going to try to get through the whole of chapter 1 this morning together. Bit of context on Jonah. Jonah is a prophet of the Lord. He's a preacher. He is ministering the Word of God uh, among the people of the northern kingdom of Israel, uh, under the reign of uh, Jeroboam, 
II, sometime in around the 8th century B.C. So here we have a prophet of the Lord, a preacher, and the Word of God comes to him, and he is, he is sent in that capacity. That's the capacity that the Word of the Lord comes to him. He's a preacher, he's a prophet, and he is sent in verse 2 to Nineveh. Nineveh, the great city of the Assyrian Empire. And of course, we know Jonah refuses to go. And the rest of the story unfolds in the wake of Jonah's stubborn rebellion. He is unwilling to submit himself to the Word of God and the call of God in his life. And really, the book of Jonah, if you were to sum it up, is a tale of Jonah's slowly learned lessons and of God's extraordinary, persistent, sovereign grace. It is a profound challenge to us, the book of Jonah, in several ways. It challenges us to care for the salvation of people not like us. People who are not like us, not the same as we are. It is a profound challenge for us to care for the salvation of the lost wherever we may find them. Jonah is what's known as a minor prophet in the Old Testament. He's one of 12 minor prophets in the Old Testament. Now, the title minor prophet is a little bit misleading, I would have to say, in the fact that you think it's maybe less important than the major prophets. That's not the case. The book of Jonah carries real profound lessons for us, uh, weighty actually, I would say weighty lessons for us as the church. And the reason why it's called a minor prophet is simply because of, it, of its length. It's shorter than the major prophets like Isaiah or some of Jeremiah. Though that, that is simply the reason why it's called a minor prophet. It is no less significant. It is no uh, less significant for us today. It is simply because of the length of the book that Jonah is referred to as a minor prophet. So who were these prophets and what was, what was their role? These prophets were, as you would say, the middlemen between God and men. God would give them a message or a word, and they would go and preach that word to the people. They would deliver the word of God to the people. And so what we find here in Jonah chapter 1 is the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. You'll see it there in verse 1. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. That's the commission led out to the prophet. It's very simple. Arise, go to Nineveh, preach against them, and show them their sin. Now, Jonah is a man of proven track record. He is a preacher. He has done ministry before. He has previously been useful to the Lord in ministry. In the context of serving under King Jeroboam, though Jeroboam was an evil king, he had 
presided over the northern kingdom for some time and brought some reign of peace to the northern kingdom. He had also expanded the borders. And, it, and although he was an evil king, Jonah the prophet had spoke to him, called out his sin, pleaded with him to repent. And so it's not as if Jonah hasn't been given a, a, a task of going and preaching to power and calling them out on their sin before. He has. He's proven track record for this. And so this man is used to speaking to power. A man is used to preaching the Word, even to wayward people like Jeroboam. But this is one international mission trip that Jonah just simply wasn't up for. He didn't want to go. Verse 3, Jonah arose to flee, to flee. There were other prophets who, like Jonah, were sent to speak judgment over nations surrounding Israel and Judah. That had happened before. Uh, Jonah's commission here is hardly unique in that respect. That had happened. So, what's Jonah's problem? Why does he say no? Because simply that's what he does. The Word of God comes to Jonah the prophet, arise, go to the Ninevites, and Jonah says, no, I'm not going. Well, I think there's two features that set Jonah's commission apart. One of them is this. First of all, you'll notice that Jonah has to go to Nineveh in person. Arise, go. Unlike other prophets, they would stand in the streets of Jerusalem and, and pronounce these oracles of God, these judgments of God over the people and over the kings, and, over the, and they would stand in Jerusalem and do that. That is not what's being asked here of Jonah. Jonah is being asked to go himself personally to the Ninevites with a word of judgment. And then secondly, the second thing that stands out is the urgency that there is placed on this call. Arise. Arise and go. It is like God is arresting Jonah and saying, right now, you need to get up and you need to go to the Ninevites because their sin is so great. It has come before me. You need to get off your backside. You need to get up and you need to go right now. There is an urgency to this call. Ironically, you'll see the captain of the ship later on in the, midst of the, uh, in the midst of the storm, shaking Jonah and saying what? Arise, the same command given by the Lord in the beginning. God gives Jonah the command, arise, go to the Ninevites. What does Jonah do? He tries to flee. What does even the captain in the ship say to him? Arise, go, without delay. And so there's two things that make this call unique. He's to go in person, and he is to go now. And we'll, as we'll see when we come to chapter 4, verse 2, Jonah deduces from all of this, the immediacy of it, the fact that he's being sent in person, is an unusual commission for an Old Testament prophet. And Jonah figures out from all of this, God's intention and sending him to Nineveh was not simply 
to pronounce judgment over it, but it was to pronounce judgment that would lead the Ninevites to repentance. And this is, in fact, why Jonah fled. He did not want the Ninevites to repent. He did not want the Ninevites to receive the mercy of God. This, friends, is a prophet of the Lord. And he did not want the Ninevites to repent, and he did not want them to receive the mercy of God. Nineveh was a, a vast city. It's located about 600 miles northeast of Israel. Near, you'll, you'll, you'll know this name when, when I say it, near the city of Mosul. Mosul came to prominence in recent years uh, for very different reasons, uh, probably through ISIS, actually, uh, and, and, the, and the fighting that went on there. And so it's close. Mosul, the modern city of Mosul, is located very close to the ancient city of Nineveh. Probably the largest city at that point in this uh, violent Assyrian empire. Calculated to have taken three journeys or three days to journey around. Uh, this was a, a serious force, a serious Assyrian force in the day. And so it, it was growing, it was getting more violent, it was getting more sinful. And essentially, the Israel, Israelites viewed this empire as the enemy. The enemy. So Jonah is being asked to go to the enemy to ask them to repent and turn to the Lord. That's the context. He's asked to go to the enemy to preach against them, to show them their sin, that they might repent and they might receive the mercy of God and they might become followers of Yahweh. And all the while, he is being asked to do this. Israel is heading headlong into sin. After Jonah preaching to them for years. And God says, forget about them. Go to the enemy. Preach that they might receive my mercy. They might receive my forgiveness. And they might be brought into the kingdom. Jonah's response no. No. How unthinkable it was for Jonah that the Ninevites, these wicked pagans, might receive the mercy of God and come into the kingdom. Indeed, in fact, if Nineveh repent and be preserved, May they even become the instrument that God uses to purge Israel of its sin. You see, the hand of God is at work, even in the pagans, to bring them to Him so that He might bring Israel to repentance. It's all being threaded together by the hand of God. And Jonah says no. Jonah says no. Now, 
even in these opening verses, there are so many lessons for us. But I want to primarily draw our attention to two. So what we have, Jonah, commission comes to him, go to the Ninevites, the sinful people, that they might repent, that they might come to me, that they, that they will, will eventually see will be used by God to bring about Israel's repentance. And he says no. The first lesson that we can take from, from even these opening verses is this. God is in control of the world's affairs. God is in control of the world's affairs. You see, the reality is that we can't make sense of it. We can't make sense of when, when empires rise, when empires fall, when, when people rise to power, when people are taken away from power. We cannot make sense of it, except for the fact that God is the God who is the judge over all the earth, and He sets these things up, and He brings them down, and He is sovereign over them all. You see, not much of what we see in our very short space of, of our lives, of our threescore year and ten that we're given, not much of, of, of what was, goes on from the big view of, of history will we understand until we get the glory. And then somehow we're going to see it all and how God threads it all together and how He brings all these things together and how He rises an empire here and then He makes another one fall and He rises one here. We won't understand any of this until we get to glory. That's the reality. Not much will be apparent. We see here that what he was intending to do was send a prophet to a rebellious city that the people might repent and turn to him. And if that's what God wants to do, guess what will happen? That. If that's what he wants to do, that's what he'll do. Why? Because he's God. He's God. He can do what he wants, when he wants, through who he wants, how he wants. And my encouragement to us, as we sit here today and we, we, we look at Jonah chapter 1, and we see that God is in control of the world's affairs, and he makes all these things come together, is this. Stop trying to figure it all out. Stop trying to figure it all out. This is my encouragement to you as we begin 2024. Stop trying to figure it all out and let God be God. Let God be God. And just because someone tells you God is doing something on TikTok, don't necessarily believe it. Don't necessarily believe it. I, I, I find it amazing that I might even have to say that. Stop trying to figure it out and let God be God. Take the weight. Take the weight and the burden of you trying to figure it out and take it off yourself. You were not designed to carry that. Because you 
are not God. God is in control of the world's affairs. He makes nations rise and He makes them fall. And it's up to Him of when He does it and how He does it and through who He does it. The second thing is this, and it's very obvious. God's mercy is not limited to the people we think it should be limited to. God's mercy is not limited to the people we think it should be limited to. It's most common to us, we see this most in Romans chapter 10, where God talks about the fact that if you go to the pagans and the pagans turn in repentance and faith, then it will provoke my people to return to me. God is doing something here. He's in control. He is going to the Ninevites that they might repent so that that in turn Israel might come back to Him. Through it all, God is working His plan and His purpose to bring to Himself a people. Jonah didn't like that. Jonah didn't like the fact that people, so-called enemies, were going to repent and come to faith. It annoys Jonah. Jonah doesn't like the fact that these people might actually be converted. And I wonder, can we be the same sometimes? Right at the beginning of this book, ask yourself the question. It's really important. Right at the beginning of this book, are there a group of people? Is there an individual that you would not like to see repent and come to faith? Now, I know we're all really good Christians in here, and surely that wouldn't be the case. But can I remind you of who we're talking about here in the Scriptures? Jonah, a prophet of the Lord, a minister of proven track record. And even he had a group of people where he thought, no, the mercy of God cannot reach them. I do not want that to happen. Might there be a group of people, might there be an individual that we would think the same of? That if they came to faith, that if they genuinely repented and turned to Jesus, it would do our heads in. Because in our minds, they don't deserve it. Or in our minds, they're different than us. Or in our minds, there's no way. The book of Jonah is going to show us that there are no limitations on the mercy of God. So that's the task. The task is to arise and go. Now, the next point I have is this, the consequences of Jonah's response. Jonah said no. Simple. I'm not doing it. And look at what happens. The text itself gives us a a very clear path of the trajectory of Jonah's life from that point on. Notice this, this, it repeats the same Hebrew phrase over and over again. Jonah went down. Jonah went down. 
Jonah went down. You'll see it. He went down to Joppa. He went down into the ship. And then he went down into the inner part of the ship and fell asleep. Down, down, down. That is the trajectory of Jonah's life from the point where he says no to God. It is a downward spiraling trajectory. That's where he's going. Down, down, down. Here he is a man spiraling out of control into faithlessness, into uselessness, and into bitterness, and into self-deception from the moment he says no. Look what happens. Jonah directly, bluntly disobeys the Word of God. He's told to go to Nineveh, which is a journey of about 600 miles northeast. Instead, he goes to where? Verse 3, he flees to Tarshish. Probably, if you think, if you can think of a map, if you can think where Israel is, 600 miles northeast, Tarshish is thought to be modern-day Spain. So, he was told to go that way. What way is he going? That way as far away as he can get. Now, it's very understandable why he would flee to Spain. Good destination. When he went to the travel agents down in, uh, when he was looking for the boat, uh, and they were like, where, where will we go? Spain sounds like a good destination. Let's do that. So, that's where he goes. He could not be, he could not be running further away from God. Now, think about this. How futile is that how silly of a prophet of the Lord to think, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to run away from God. I'm going to run away from God. Surely a prophet of the Lord would know Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend into the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, in the realm of the dead, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall find me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day, for the darkness is as light with you. There is nothing more futile than trying to run from God. There is nowhere you can go. Surely Jonah knows that. Surely Jonah knows that the eyes of God are always upon him. And yet, isn't this exactly what we all try to do when we begin a pattern of direct disobedience to God? This is what we've been doing, folks, from day one. Adam and Eve. What did they try to do? How did they try to get away? They tried to hide themselves from the presence of the Lord. They couldn't be hidden. Neither can we 
and neither can Jonah. There is no hiding from God. Jonah surely knew better, and we surely know better. But here's the thing. Sin has a way of deceiving us. Sin has a way of making us think we can hide from God. It has a way of this make, giving us this illogical reasoning in our heads of avoidance. Are you there now? Are you thinking, God can't see me? Are you thinking, God doesn't know what I'm doing? He does. He sees and He knows. There is no hiding place. And what we see of Jonah here is he is abandoning what he knows of God to be true. And it seems really strange that a prophet would do that. It seems really strange that someone who has ministered for the Lord, been useful in the Lord's work, spoken to power for the Lord, would just abandon what they know to be true of God. But that's exactly what he does. Over the course of almost 10 years now of pastoral ministry, I have witnessed people walk away from the faith that they had, abandoned the faith and walked away from the gospel, sometimes suddenly, sometimes dramatically. Sometimes it almost seems as if it's a hairpin turn, and, and literally they're walking with the Lord, and they seem to be doing well, and then all of a sudden it's boom, it's, it's done. I don't believe this anymore. I'm out. It's a, it's a strange thing to watch. But almost inevitably, almost all the time, behind a sudden, a seemingly sudden change in direction, behind a suddenly seemingly, like, I'm, I'm out, I'm done with all of this. Even a, a sudden theological shift where I, I used to believe this about God, but now I don't believe that about God, I believe this about God almost always behind that is a choice of sin over a choice of obedience. Almost always. If we prefer sin, if we opt for sin, we cannot retain the view of God, the big view of God that the Bible gives us. We cannot retain that. So what we do is we change our view of God to make Him smaller, to make, a, to make Him adaptable so that we can pursue our sin. That's what we do. That's what Jonah did. He changed his view of God. There is no way on this earth that the prophet could know could not know that God is everywhere. God sees everything. He can't run from God, and yet that's exactly what He does. Whenever you see someone reject biblical doctrine, the real issue is not often theological, not often intellectual, 
often it is moral. They have opted for sin over obedience. They have opted to rebel over obedience. What Jonah here is doing is making God small. He is trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. And then look what happens next. Armed with that small view of God, it is really interesting how he must interpret the things that happen around him. Armed with a small view of God, look at how he interprets what happens around him. He went down to Joppa, and lo and behold, there's a ship going to the very place where he determined that he would go to, heading to Tarshish. Few inquiries immediately reveal that it's a long, dangerous journey, and wouldn't you know it, Jonah has just enough to get him there. Everything seems to line up for this escape. Everything seems to be falling into place that would almost justify his behavior. I wonder did Jonah actually fool himself by thinking that he had misheard God, maybe? That God really didn't want him to go to Nineveh, but actually that he wanted him to go to Tarshish all along. All the doors are open, all the stars align. Even the lady in the travel agents was very, very helpful. Everything seemed to be going his way. How easy, folks, is it sometimes to make the providences we see around us say what we want them to say? How easy is it for us to read our circumstances the way we want to hear them? And have you ever found how easy it is when we set our hearts on sin that the means to that sin is very easily, readily available? It's funny how Satan provides ways and means for us to take the path of sin. Spurgeon told a story of a boy that he went to school with who would often explode into fits of rage and start throwing things in the classroom. And Spurgeon said this, What struck me forcibly was not that he got angry, nor that he threw something when he got angry. What struck me was that whenever he got angry, there was always something at hand to throw. Beware. When you set your heart on sin, there is very often the means for that sin precisely at hand to carry out our disobedience. Jonah is a classic case of what I have said many times before, and I'll say it again. One of God's clearest acts of judgment can be allowing us do the very thing we want to do. 
one of God's clearest acts of judgment on us can be allowing us to do the very thing we want to do. That is the consequences of Jonah's response here. He is allowed so far to do exactly what he wants to do. The commission comes. He says no. And so he travels in this ship towards Tarshish. And what do we find then? Well, we find, if you're taking notes, my first heading was an unwanted task. The second heading is a consequence of Jonah's response. And the third point is this, a witness ruined. A witness ruined. Jonah gets on board the ship, and soon a great storm picks up. The sailors are doing all they can to save the ship. But where is Jonah? Is Jonah helping? Is Jonah helping bail out the water? Is he helping to row? Is he helping to do, uh, try and move the thing along here? No. Where is he? He's asleep, sound asleep, below deck. And here's what we have, a quiet conscience if we ever saw one. Here's a quiet conscience. He is below deck, sleeping. Here we have a conscience that no longer, simply no longer protests. And for me, this is probably one of the most alarming parts of Jonah's story. That you can know that you're being disobedient to the Lord. You can walk away and your conscience can be quiet. There's something desperately wrong at that point. When we persist in disobedience, our voice the voice of our conscience goes silent. And so what we finally notice here, what happens as a result, is that Jonah's witness is actually ruined. What they do is cast lots to find out who's, a, who's to blame here, and the lot falls on Jonah. He can't hide anymore, and he, he confesses. Verse 9, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the, the sea and the dry land. But notice how the sailors react to him. They recognize now that this deadly storm that they're facing that could take their lives is his fault. And they must have said to themselves, you fear the Lord? Really? Look at the mess we're in. Look where we found ourselves through someone who fears the Lord. We're in this mess because of you, and, and Jonah, right now, your words and your actions are misaligned. They are not adding up. So they ask what to do with him so that they might escape this destruction. And jo Jonah tells him, hurl me into the sea. Now, I don't know if you saw this in the text, but it's fascinating. They say, hurl me into the sea. And what do the sailors do? They don't. They try to save them. Pagans. Seemingly non-believing people try to save this prophet of the Lord by rowing all the harder. No doubt Jonah went down for another nap. At this point, he has lost all credibility, hasn't he? 
He has lost all credibility. The sailors no longer are taking him seriously. And even you, as you read that, and as you go home this afternoon, maybe you'll read through Jonah chapter 1 again, you will find it in chapter 1 very, very hard to respect Jonah. He said no to the Lord's commission. He has went on this ship and he has caused them a disaster. The pagans on the boat seem to be be more caring and more loving than, than this prophet. When we watch the consequences of disobedience unfold before our very eyes in Jonah's life, I wonder, is this you or I this morning? Either you know God is calling you to something, to a people, to a place, and yet you've tried to run. You've tried to run. Is it you or I this morning that we have embraced sin and are facing the very consequences of that sin? Are we trying to make God so small that we can accommodate our own sin? And in doing so, are we losing our witness? Are we losing our credibility with the people around us? Because we say on one hand, we fear the Lord, and yet we live in a way that pagans look at us and can't understand. That's Jonah's story up to date. That's where we find him. Could that be us this morning? Are we losing our credibility because our actions do not match our words? To finish this morning, and I am going to have to cut Incredible chunks out of my notes here, by the way. Uh, To finish this morning, there's another side of this story. And it is this. Here we have a prophet called by God to go to a people. He says no. He runs in the opposite direction. He puts others' lives in danger. He's thrown, as we know, overboard. And even in that mess, what we see is the unwavering, determined pursuit of a sovereign God in his life. Even in that mess, even in the mess that he has made of it all, we see God pursue his own. All the providential alignment of circumstances allow Jonah to get into this position where he is in the midst of the sea. 
and God is pursuing him. God is bringing him back to himself. Folks, this morning there is both a word of warning and a word of comfort. The warning is this, do not say no to God. Do not say no to God. When you hear His voice, listen to His voice and do what He says. That's the warning, or we see the consequences unfold. But there is a word of comfort here this morning in this. It is that God absolutely is relentless in His pursuit of Jonah, and He is absolutely relentless in His pursuit of us. You believer here this morning, if you're in sin, if you're walking in sin, if you're doing things that you shouldn't be doing, know this, He will not let you go. He won't. He will pursue you. He will come after you. He will turn, bring you back to Himself, and He will put your feet on a rock again, and He will lead you home. Fact. Be encouraged by that this morning, that God pursues us no matter how far we go. You cannot sin your way out of the grip of God's grace. You cannot sin your way out of the grip of God's grace. It is impossible to do so if you're trusting in Jesus. You may wander. You may wander very, very far. But if you're His, He will pursue you. Maybe, and I don't, I don't know, maybe some of you are going through stuff in life right now that you're thinking, this is rubbish. This is hard. Circumstances around you seem incredibly difficult. Could it be that it is God's providential hand in giving you a shake? Could it be that it is God's sovereign will that He is saying to you, turn. Come back to me, and I will lead you. As I say, I don't know. But might that be the case? Folks, listen. Blot out the distractions. Listen to the voice of God. Some of us have a tendency to think, oh, that rubbish thing that's going on in my life, that couldn't be from God. Did you see what we just read? Could it be the rubbish thing that's going on in your life is directly from God to bring you to your senses, to turn you towards Him, 
and to bring you back into line with his purposes for your life. Turn. Listen and turn. And come back to him. Thank God that he is relentless in his pursuit of his children because he loves us so much. Let me pray first. Father, we thank you for your word, and it is just it's a, it's a, it's a blessing even to have it. and for it to speak to us. We pray now that as we come to your table as children whom you have pursued in our rebellious ways, we pray that you would speak to us through your Spirit. We pray for open ears to listen to what you have to say. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.